Sofía Huerta. Domina Alex Morgan, le pasa a Swanson y a correr aquí. Va Swanson, gana la posición. Viene, 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 viene. Welcome to another episode of Diaspora United. I am Andre Carlisle, and I am here with Courtney Stiff. Who else did y'all expect? Courtney, how are you doing? I'm all right. Sleepy per usual. You know how it goes. When I woke up this morning, it was dark outside, so my brain was perplexed. um, Because recently, it's been so warm, and it's been so nice. Yeah. Like, when it's warm outside, I mean, it's terrible for my work productivity. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because I'm like, I just want to be outside. I don't want to do anything else. But yeah, it's been beautiful. My favorite thing about it being warm is that it's like perfect at night. So you can just like hang out outside at night, which I enjoy doing. It's fun. Yeah, it's a good time. I'm ready for this warm weather. I'm tired. I'm tired of the cold. Like it needs to be sunny and bright 24-7 now. Facts. Agreed. In fact, I don't even need a winter in my life at all. Fuck winter. All right, I got a little Thanks. aggressive off the top. <laughs> let's let's, uh, let's talk about, you know what, we're here We're here to talk about the international break. We are going to talk about it kind of overall in general, spotlight a couple of results, and then we're going to get into the U.S. Women's National Team. So let's just do that right now. Basically, the thing I really want to say about this international break is that if you could like script it in terms of like how do you build the most anticipation for the World Cup in three months, I think you would do pretty much exactly what happened this international break, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Like, let me, let me just run through some results for the people because th- things were fanging, things were happening, there were upsets, or maybe like, I don't know, well, there were, there were simultaneously upsets, but also some of them like weren't. Um, so I just want to run through a few results from the beginning of the international break, which technically was at the beginning of April, but just some, you know, results that stuck out to me that I thought was fascinating. Um, well, first we saw a series between Panama and the Dominican Republic. The first game, Panama won 1-0. The second game, Andre, I don't know if you saw this, Panama won, <laughs> like, it was like 4-3, oh. and... <laughs> Domin- they they would score and then DR would come back and like keep tying it up. And at one point, like they got what uh, DR got a equalizer. I want to say in like the in the, like the 89th minute. So you think, oh, this game is ending three three, and then Panama's like, jokes on you, we're getting <laughs> a winner in the 92nd minute, and it was just like chaos, bonkers, absolute chaos. So it was just fun across the board because um, we know that Panama is going to be at the Women's World Cup this summer. I'm very, very excited. Um, some other results that were a big deal, uh, or, well, you know, that are featuring some of the, let's say, World Cup favorites, maybe? Um, Spain beat Norway 4-2, to two, which was, I mean, I didn't get to watch that game, but I was, like, fascinating. Um, Nigeria beat Haiti 2-1. to one. I watched that game. Oh. That game cool. was, first of all, fun. No lie, Nigeria got, um, got away with it by the skin of their teeth because... Melody Dubernet, first of all, Haiti hit the bar like four separate times during that game. And I was like, Nigeria is playing with fire. But we also saw the return of Asisa Oshwala to the Nigeria camp for the first time in a very long time. So exciting about that. Korea versus, sorry, South Korea versus Zambia. Did you 
also catch this game? I did not. I did not catch it. However, I did. I was like paying attention on Twitter. Zambia goes up 2-1 halftime. And then South Korea storms back to a 5-2 win. Drama. It was delicious. Australia, <laughs> Australia beat Scotland. Or sorry. Australia lost to Scotland 1-0. Yeah. Which was a a, where we were like, huh? Um, it's also uh, also known as the Sam Kerr Derby. I think that's fair to say. We and we got wait, a photo wait, of Sam you, Kerr did meeting you see Sam the photo Kerr. Afterwards, both <laughs> Sam Kerr's holding like they did a shirt exchange. Like, please stop, stop. Yeah, it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I was like, oh, I love this for us. Um, let's see some other results. At first, uh, Sweden lost to Denmark one nil. Like what? Portugal lost to Japan two to one. Germany beat the Netherlands narrowly one nil. France beat Colombia five to two. Also a banger of a game. That France team starting to cook. Very excited. Very excited about them starting to cook. Um, yeah, I mentioned that 4-3 game. Argentina beat Venezuela 3-0. Then Haiti came back, beat Moldova 3-1. There were just like a lot of results. And then when South Korea and Zambia played again, then they won 5-0. Uh, Nigeria beat New Zealand 3-0. Italy beat Colombia 2-1. Spain beat China 3-0. Sweden and Norway somehow 3-3. Another bonkers game. The Netherlands won. Scotland won again. Wales tied Portugal. And then, uh, to me, the three most interesting results at like the second, like in the second set of games during the international break. First, France beat Canada two to one. Yeah. Delicious. But also, we knew that Canada had all the injuries, like yeah. so many injuries. It was wild. Um, England thirty match unbeaten streak snapped. Ova. Ova lost 2-0 to England. I'm sorry, what words? <laughs> lost 2-0 to Australia. <laughs> An Australia that also, days prior, lost 1-0 to Scotland, who's not even in <laughs> the World Cup. So bonkers. Um, Sam Kerr haunts Leah Williamson. <laughs> it just happens. Rent free. Rent free. Uh, and then to me, the banger of this international break. Brazil beat Germany two to one for the first time in like, I want to say what, almost two decades. The last time they beat them was at the 2008 Olympics. So two one Brazil banger golazo from Ari Bores. Um, last match for on the international level for Jennifer Marjan, which made me sad. I hate that when it's a player's last cap, they don't start the match. Yeah. It makes me so extremely mad, and that's why Germany lost. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I had a take about this, and it's because Maro did not start, and she did not get the captain's armband, which you, is why You did, you did tell me lost. you had a take, and as you were building it up, I was like, oh, I see where this is going. <laughs> that's you know why what? they lost. You're right. I can't argue with that. That's just science. It's facts. Uh, it is facts, but I will also say, that's nothing to take away from Brazil. I thought Brazil played so well. It was a little, it was a little nice at the end. It was a little nice. However, I still think they played very well, considering that one of their best attackers, Caroline, is just hanging out in the midfield, sometimes as a six, sometimes as an eight. And I'm like, fix it, Jesus. I thought it was like she was only playing there because they didn't have Marta. And so when, obviously when Marta, and to be fair, Dabinia comes back in, things would shift around. Um, But no, I think they're confidently playing her there. And I hate it. I hate it. You know what's interesting? I don't really hate it. I think that 
you get more from her in wide areas in some in some instances in some games, especially like the transition game of like the NWSL. But I think what they really need, and I and I've kind of talked about this a bit with the U.S. Women's National Team, which we'll get to later. Um, but just having that dynamism in midfield, you know, Caroline is very good at at basically being a pest in midfield, but mm-hmm. also when she gets the ball, it's very dangerous, and she leads breaks from central areas because she's able to get by basically any defense. Like she's hard to press. She's one of those. I think you would. I think you would class. I would classify her. And of course, we need to see her in midfield more frequently to know if this is actually the case. But she she feels like a press resist, resistant player. So when they get the ball, especially with all of that high intensity pressing that pressing that they've been doing, which I think is going to be interesting for Brazil. Like mm-hmm. they play their best when they're doing this ridiculous press. But yeah. we've also seen it's very hard to do that for ninety minutes, and it's very hard to do that throughout the entire tournament. So this is it's going to be interesting. But I think when they do win the ball back, when they have a central focal point like Caroline to to get the ball to and then beat a defender or beat a, someone who's trying to press her and, and lead a break, that usually results in something very positive and very dangerous for the other team. So I'm kind of here for it. See, I understand what you're saying. And I think I'd be here for it if she played more as an eight. But yeah. when she does slot into that six role, and, the th- and the, look, this is the thing. When you've been playing as an attacker your entire life, you, A, to be fair, are not thinking always even as like a holding midfielder or even a defender. But also one thing that I noticed, which is like a super small detail, is like the type of tackles you put in. Because we did see in the first half, while I thought Brazil, especially that first half, played brilliantly, they did give away two like big kind of big free kick chances. And those came from two Caroline tackles in the midfield. And so I'm like, yeah, because of my fan theory of... Germany losing anyway because of not starting tomorrow. I also think, you know, if you like teams will uh, like Brazil was lucky to not get basically to have uh, Germany not t- take advantage of those opportunities. And so, yes, if you play her as an eight, I think that dy- that dynamism and her being a pest will work in the midfield. But I'm like, if you are kind of focusing on her being in a more holding midfielder role, I'm like, I, I don't think that's going to turn out well against like opposition who are having you know a bit of a better day at the office because i also don't think germany's finishing was perfect um this game um but i will say it is a big deal that i think if we think back to the game against the u.s when they won to one of the big change for the u.s really was when lena oberdorf left the game yeah um but you know brazil was up when oberdorf was in the midfield yes and I think that is something to very much hang their hats on. Um, but yeah, I'm just like not, I'm just like, I think Caroline as 6 eight is working for right now. And obviously like there's a solid chance that things will change um, once Marta comes back in, once Dabinia comes back in. Um, but I also think Caroline is so good on the wing and like leading of like being on the receiving end of a, in a transition moment. And being able to, you know, get out wide and use her incredibly tricky skills um, to get past defenders and stuff like that. So that's why I'm just like, I feel like it's neutralizing a little bit of a, of like why we are so hype on her. Because I think she is so good out wide and in transition. I mean, to be fair, in a lot of moments, but especially like thinking about, for example, if Marta's in the midfield and can get a slip ball through to her and it's her and Dabinia running at a back line, you know? 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. And I think that, um, I think that's right. I think uh, as we have seen, if you are U.S. Women's National Team uh, watchers, the sixth role is kind of important. Uh, and, and so, and, and it's also a specialist, a specialized kind of role. And so I do think that even though you could take, you know, a winger who's as skilled on the ball and, and it, and a kind of like covering ground, covering space, winning the ball back as Caroline, you can have her work as an eight, but I agree that the six is not a good idea. So especially cause she's just at that point, she's going to be too deep, even as high as they press, she's going to be too deep in order to actually like drive the ball forward. And you really want her to have like one player to beat maybe two. And then she's able to like run directly at the back line. And you can't really do that often when you're at that six role. Um, but I will say you mentioned in the first half, particularly when Oberdorf was in there, like I looked at that Germany lineup because I saw how the game was going and I was like, okay, so they put, they put in the hitters like this, this yeah. was, like, let's go. And, um, yo, Brazil had them in hell. Like, absolutely. In the hell. mud. In the mud. <laughs> they were pressing them so much, so hard. They couldn't find their passing connections to get out of it. They couldn't figure anything out. I was, like, staring at the screen like, yo, this is exactly what I wanted to see. And it's just really cool because we saw Brazil's development throughout the She Believes Cup. Like, they start off a little rocky. They get better. By the time they play the U.S., they are looking really good. And to be honest, there there were a couple goals and we talked about it then that that either hit the bar or they just narrowly missed. Like they really could have they could have finished those chances. They really could have embarrassed the U.S. on that day. But like then you see the progression, you know, now they go into Germany, into Germany without Dabinia, without Marta, and they take out Germany. That's dope. Like Germany hadn't lost at home since I think what, like 2017 or something like that? It had been a long time. Yeah, so like I'm I'm here for that and I and I'm I'm we called them like the dark horse a while ago and now I think a few people are jumping on the bandwagon a bit and especially after this everybody's looking at them like yo they can make some noise and and I think I, yes. Correct. I can't lie. I'm feeling smug because Andre, I don't know if you remembered. Um there was it was an article you put out with the Gaming Society about like World Cup favorite odds or something. Yeah. And Brazil was not there. And I said, yeah. Excuse me? I didn't it's, do that. Excuse me? I know you, no, I know <laughs> you not, did not do that. It was like, you, it was like, uh, for those who don't know a lot about betting, it's like bookies make these odds and stuff like that. And so it's just like yeah. people basically reporting on them. And I was like, excuse me, Brazil's not in this. And I tweeted that. And a few folks got my mentions like, uh, excuse me, do you see what group Brazil is in? And I'm like, yes, well, Brazil's group is hard. Just wait. They're going to cook. And now we are seeing the fruits of that labor. And I hope that they, like, they just continue the ascent to the peak. Um, and that peak also does not happen until after the women's world cup, but yeah, they're, they're starting to cook. And also they're starting to cook without arguably two of their best players of Marta, yeah. the goat and Dabinia. Yeah. Like that thing. is, that is a huge thing that like, that was my thing. I was like, they are coming. They're like immediately coming after Germany when Germany are playing their hitters in front of 32,000 fans. And the, Look, that Ari Borges Golazo, I was losing it. Yeah. I was losing it. Like it, it was so good. It was so good. Yeah, and you know, I also want to, uh, I also want to touch on the France team a bit because you know we know that they finally got Diacre out the paint. Uh, the federation finally got that that Noel Legrec dude out the paint. 
Um, and they got Hervé Renard. Um, the, the Renardissance is, is going on. Uh, Stop, not the Renardissance. Oh, I did it. I did it. And, um, and, and it's, it's looking good. I mean, I still think that there's going to be a, a massive learning curve and, you know, it's going to be difficult. He's a good manager, but, but women's football, there's a lot to get, in, get to learn and to get into. And we've seen like people come over like from men's football, get into it and, and they still have to learn, you know, I mean, basically one of the biggest things for me that people look at, it's not just the difference between the men's and the women's game, because there's, there is that, but there's also just like, how much of the opposition are you familiar with? Do you know, like you can get yourself ate up because you don't realize how good another player is or some of the things that they do, their tendencies and all of that stuff. So like when it comes to specific details of game planning, very far behind, but I'll say, I don't know if it's just the admin, you know, social admin posting videos or what, but that team is feeling free and I am so mad and I want jail time for everybody in that fed, including the Accra, for, for robbing them and us of this sort of joy that they've been playing with and that they've been experiencing pregame and postgame. That France team is exciting and they're having a hell of a time and it's just really knowing what they've been through. It's really fun to see, but also knowing how talented they are, it's really dope. Yeah, I wish I, I mean, I'm still going to, this is, I will say the small beauty of um, women's football on the international level, especially compared to the men's game, where like, there's like a good chance you can just find a tape of any game online. Um, and yeah, France is playing with a lot of joy. And I like, I just think as we've talked so much about, you know, players playing under like extremely terrible conditions and in like toxic work environments and things like that and so it does bring me joy that France is playing with joy but also one thing and Andre I don't know if you saw this I was quite surprised about um particularly with Majri and they and like Bernard the coach basically said that they did not have the facilities to like really be able to bring her into camp with a baby yeah yeah there's a that's the other thing like he's been I, I know like given who he's replacing like you have kind of an easy opportunity to just like not be terrible and, and you'll look good by comparison but it sounds like he's also gone the extra step of like advocating for and saying like we need these things we need to improve in these specific ways which echoes a lot of what the players have been saying for so long um and actually it also reminds me we're talking with one of our guests. I remember it was Darian Jenkins. Um, but basically saying that in France, like they don't really take women's football at the club level super seriously. And it does, it's like not like the US where you kind of feel like you're a professional athlete and people recognize you for that. And so to me, it kind of points to like a bit of a systemic problem with France, but also hoping that, and we've seen the changes that can happen in a country when a country does win a World Cup, which honestly, I'm hoping France or Brazil wins. Um, it, like I'm just being honest. Um, but hopefully that also brings about some change. Cause like, look, social teams love talking about having mothers on the team, baby content. They love it, but it's like, you got to back that up with the stuff behind the scenes too. Right. Yes. Which, you know, we want to talk about that whole thing. You could also look at Lyon, one of the best baby women's teams that there's ever been in terms of club still. And we heard about what happened with Sarah Bjork Gunner's daughter and her situation, how they treated her when she was pregnant and and, and after she had her child. Um, and so now that pressure came. Fifth Pro had to get involved and like win a case in order to get her paid 
for that time. And like, that's kind of where we're at, unfortunately, with this. And so, yeah, I, I think you're 100 percent now. And now, like I said, we said we've, we've kind of joked about it before, but it's true. You can't really like scroll too far on like Leon's socials without them being like, hey, Amel Madri, she's here with a kid. And it's like, yeah, like babies. <laughs> right. And so so that ties in exactly what you were saying, like the social teams love it. But also let's make sure that it's like the, the infrastructure is there and that players like feel that they're going to be supported throughout the process of like giving birth and then returning to their club, returning to their career and still being able to be a mother and a professional athlete. It's possible. There are a lot to do it. So don't just do the social posts, like do the whole thing. And I think that's exactly what he was saying uh, about the team overall and the French Federation. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of improvement there uh, that needs to be made. Um, real quick, before we dive into everything U.S. Women's National Team, I have one more note I want to say. And it is that I am just frustrated at how many of these games we simply could not watch without risking our computers Facts. blowing up from several viruses. <laughs> like, this is the last international window, major international window before a World Cup. You had some incredible matchups. I mean, Courtney ran through a ton of matches that came. We we haven't even hit on Australia. Like, we, we mentioned the scoreline, but we haven't even hit on what it means that Australia beat England in London, 2-0. Like, that's an incredible result. That's great for Australia. And it also is like a little bit of a wake-up call for England. But but more beyond a wake-up call, it's Millie Bright needs to be healthy for that team to actually be very good and as solid defensively as they've been. So, like, that, they look dominant. But as we see, they're, one, they're still one injury away from being able to be like a big question mark. And there have been so many of these games that I just wanted to like binge watch. And it's just been so difficult to do that. And I hate it. Please let us watch the game. Yeah, honestly, across the board, it's pretty terrible. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like um, maybe leading up to, I mean, to be fair, I feel like there was a purpose, a point in time where like there were a few, you know, different media companies picking up these friendlies. But it was like, I mean, look, and I mean, y'all know that I'm, you know, covering Ifiana Manu, friend of the pod, um, her journey to the Women's World Cup this summer. And like the length that I had to go to find the Nigeria stream. And I'll tell you, I was searching up and down on like through Twitter, through YouTube, because they said, oh, it's on our YouTube. I go to their YouTube page. I don't see anything. I even click on their live tab, scroll down, don't see nothing. And then finally, of course, I'm like, I'm like at wit's end and I tweet and then like three people send me the link in genuinely a minute um but it's like people want to watch these teams and i understand you're not always going to get like a broadcast deal for a friendly or something like that but it's like italy was streaming their game against colombia on twitter like there are ways where you can make these games accessible because people want to watch them this women's world cup this summer is going to be the biggest ever it is going to be a massive seismic event and people from all around the world want to watch these teams play yeah it's it was seriously super frustrating because i'm i you know i want to i want to see where all these teams are at you know like we talked about brazil and their growth and development like this has been one of the things to really note throughout this this international window is how are teams actually looking like what are they doing what are they developing what kind of form are they rounding into this is going to be our last time to see so many of these teams in competitive enough matches prior to a world cup that you kind of like you, you want to be able to see them you want to be able to like know like okay this is 
like they've taken some leaps like Australia beating England in in London that's huge Brazil beating Germany in Germany that's huge like you want to be able to see some of these things but not only for the these teams that I think would be in like the the upper echelon you talked a lot about Haiti as well like want to be able to Nigeria like want to be able to see these teams and how they're all coming together because everybody's on a world cup cycle you know everybody's building towards this big event and this was like our last time to actually see it so that that in the future that's just got to change i mean especially in a world cup year it makes absolutely no sense like somebody's got to find a way to make this happen so that we can like have access to all these teams that we're all going to be watching in three months anyway you know, like, let us get familiar with the teams before we have to do it all in the rush and the fury of a World Cup. Time to talk about the U.S. women's national team. But I do want to start out this conversation being smug once again, <laughs> because as we learned right before the U.S. took on Ireland, that Sinead Farley has switched associations mm-hmm. to play for Ireland. And I just want to be smug. And say that literally from the first time she was announced as a non-roster invitee for Gotham, I said, y'all just wait. Obviously, I did not know what was going to happen. But I was like, she's an absolute baller because I've been watching her since I was like literally 12 by force of my parents bringing me to UVA women's soccer game. But I just, I love this journey for y'all that you are now seeing <laughs> how much of a baller she is because she cooks every time she's on the field. And I know we're going to get into like into this, but like also to me, a big reason of why I think Ireland also played so well in that first friendly, especially, was because Sinead was balling in the midfield, bro. Look, yeah. I'm just, I'm smug. It was an outlet. I'm, I'm just smug. And that's, that's all I got to say about that. But I'm just saying, I, I knew, I almost said I knew it, which is something because my little sister just popped up on the feed but what she says qualified to say i knew to go for it she literally that's what morgan says has said to me so many times in life um but yeah i knew she was a baller and i'm just happy for all of y'all coming on this journey with me (laughs) (laughs) but i'm smug but yeah literally she was yo her touches are so good yo she's such a baller bro (sighs) i'm like literally i'm just smug but also thrilled for her to be able to like you know, get some international minutes and like also like literally play so well. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I, I appreciate that. And I, and I think that anybody, if you listen, I think if anybody's listened to our like past, what, two, maybe three episodes, they've heard you speak about her. And I think they saw pretty much, if not flashes, like a lot of, of, of the substance that you've been uh, telling us about, like, yeah, just keep your eye, just, just watch. And I think, you were right. Like, especially in that, she didn't play in the second game, but in that first game, she was very much their outlet. Like she was like, get the ball to her and she's going to protect it, which is kind of an important thing. Uh, protect it, be able to beat a player and then make a good pass after that. And that's a lot of the work that she was doing in midfield. So uh, let's go ahead and review the games. The first game, Saturday, April 8th, 2-0 win by the U.S. Emily Fox dribbles all the way across the box for some reason and <laughs> takes a right-footed <laughs> shot. Don't say for <laughs> The far. I mean, it was a great shot. It was a great goal. It's just like, we'll, we'll talk about it later. This is not a knock on Emily Fox. This is just like a, okay, this is what we're doing. Uh, and then in the 80th minute, um, uh, Lindsay Aran won a penalty and took a penalty. Looked super soft to me, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, 
then yesterday on the 11th, we had another game, the second game of this little uh, doubleheader between the U.S. and Ireland when the U.S. won 1-0 off of a... <laughs> I don't even think with the shot with with a with a goal like this from from a center back from as far away as a lot of Cook was. I don't even think you can even like ask the question of did you mean it? I know that like you have to always say like and I will say like any anybody who scores a goal of any kind ever, regardless of whether it's an old goal or not, did you mean it? If it looked dope, hell yeah, I meant it. So like, <laughs> so like, I'm here for that. But also, that was definitely a cross that just floated and floated, and the goalkeeper got under it, and it went into the goal. And that was the difference. It was also one of only two shots on target that the U.S. had in the entire match. So not a great, I would say, like, this. these two games versus Ireland did absolutely nothing to answer any of the questions that we wanted answered heading into the World Cup. And we've been talking about this team and being scared for them for years, and we still remain in that very same spot. At least I do uh, at the moment. Um, I think it answered one question for me, which was like, Julie Ertz, question mark? Yeah. Um, which I will say, like, I mean, apparently we're supposed to hear about which NWTL's an NWSL team she's supposed to sign with hopefully by the end of the week or something. So Vlaka said in the press conference. Um, and so, I mean, I've like, when you bring in Julia, it's like, it's just like, even when she's not 100% game fit. Um, and you know, that did show in moments, but it was like, yeah, you understand why she's always in the starting 11 for this team. Um, so yeah, I have, I have, I had a running list of things where I was like, well, I just took some notes. Um, and I guess before, I guess maybe, I know I brought up an individual player, but before we talk about individual player performances, Andre, a question for you. How do you feel about these? Because I noticed throughout both of these games, there was a concerted effort for these diagonal crossfield balls. I personally am not a huge fan of them. I don't mind them if you are like, let's say five yards out of the box and someone's making a run in and like that ball meets a, another diagonal run where they like come together to make a right angle. Anyway, um, I don't know where I was going with that, but I think it works from that distance. However, I've noticed that the U.S. is sending those balls in from literally any distance on the field. It doesn't matter where you are. Like that Alana Cook goal, she was like, closest to the halfway line that ended up obviously you know i will say i thought the island keeper made like you know made a mistake and got cut out and i'm thrilled that she scored her first international goal but like and on her birthday on her birthday too which is is just meant to be uh also meant to meant to be was the pain of um that becky sauerbrunn header coming hitting off the crossbar i had actual pain in my heart um but i just like these like these huge diagonal crossfield balls, I'm just not sold on them. Like I think very occasionally they work, but more likely than not, they're not working. And to me, when the U S is often going to play a team that is, you know, going to play extremely compact, like almost disruptive football to the U S yes, maybe once or twice a ball over the top is going to work, but that is like not how you how you beat a team of like just trying to woof the ball down and hoping it works. 
and I mean very specifically, like, and to be fair, I'm not 100% talking about the ones where, like, maybe you're at the top of the box and, you know, trying to get on the head or foot or something of, you know, someone who's making a run in the box. But just, like, the overall kind of emphasis, I will say, from either the outside backs or the center backs or even at time, you know, whoever is playing at the six of just a ball over the top, like, that's so easy to defend. All teams have to do is stay compact. And, you know, occasionally you're going to have, you know, if you have a player like Sophia Smith or even Lynn Williams, who's very clever at bending runs to make sure they stay on side to like meet that ball. But I'm just like, you got to get, you got to get goals from, from somewhere else. Like I am 100% not sold on this. Yeah. Let's just like basically put the ball over the top and see what happens. Yeah. And you know, this is to me. This is just how the team has learned to function under Andonovsky. Is we're not going to have intricate, or not even intricate, because intricate sounds like I want some like very pretty build. Not even pretty. I just like effective. That's it. Just like mm-hmm. effective build up from midfield to be able to service the attackers, allow them to to run to interchange, to move spaces, kind of drag defenders around, you know, pop up in different pockets, those kinds of things. We don't get to see that. (laughs) We see it when there's like a big ball or we end up working the ball up the wing and then we, we, we pass it in, but we never really get anything from the midfield. And to me, that's been largely the, the failing of his entire tenure. That was the job to like transition the team not only in terms of personnel, because that was going to happen regardless. I mean, you got players who were on that team who were either injured or retired uh, from the 2019 team. And so that was going to happen regardless, but also transition into a different style of play that more suited the talent that we have. And we still have never done that. And that's to me why the team looks, in terms of his system, looks so much better at the moment, even in the flashes that we saw them with Julie Ertz. Because basically doing the same stuff she did in 2019. A little bit more freedom to kind of run around and like boot the ball forward. But there's not that like connectivity from midfield. Like you're not seeing like, oh, she was like a missing piece. And now the midfield unit is working smoothly. Look at how they move the ball between one another and pick out passes and through balls. No, we're not seeing that. Like you said, Lindsay Aran won that penalty because Julie Ertz just booted the ball into her chest. <laughs> like, and she was in the box with a good position and then tried to turn and she fell and the referee called it a penalty. Like that's kind of like what we're trying to do for some reason. And I hate it because it like completely takes out, I think, what is the most devastating aspects of this team, which should be the terrifying attack that it has. And I do have to pause here. Because we don't want to, I want to get, I want to get you into, into the, back into this conversation. But since I mentioned the attack, I want to pause and talk about Mal. Because that was like the headline, I think, of these games. Like, we know the U.S. has not looked good under Andonovsky for the majority of the time. But the big storyline is, unfortunately, Swanson tearing her patella tendon and going to be out for, they say it's a six-month recovery. So you can pretty much kind of say... Unless there's a miracle, that's kind of the World Cup for her, and that's really sad. Yeah, it's it's extremely heartbreaking. Um, I know we were actually supposed to start the top of this. Obviously, we sent her all of the ancestral healing vibes. Um, I was partic- and so I will say, I didn't watch the first game live because I was in Serie A Worlds. 
So I was seeing all of the takes happening and like occasionally checking in, but being like, girl, pop, ah, Courtney, you're literally at work right now. You cannot be paying attention to this women's soccer game. Um, and so from the outside, I saw a lot of like a lot of takes. People first were mad um, about her not getting substituted when she went down the first time, um, which for me, Vlaco not subbing her the first time didn't actually make me extremely mad. I can't lie what made me extremely mad. Um, and we saw it expect like so much in this first game, a little bit less compared to the second game of just how like some of those tackles were so bad and that we're not getting called. And one thing that just makes me extremely angry and like this is not a and like to me, this is a kind of a referee problem um, and it doesn't matter like who it happens to. One thing that makes me extremely mad and specifically with that first injury where she was down for a long time. And I will say when a player is down for a long time like that, regardless of, I guess, what type of injury it is, like head, shoulder, knee, ankle, whatever. I think it's especially in a game like this where it's like you're already up one nil. Like, obviously, if it's a World Cup, it's different. But like this is just a a friendly leading up to the World Cup. You should probably take the player out when they're down for several (laughs) minutes at a time. but also one thing that makes me so angry is the way that injury happened. And obviously we know that, you know, the U S is breaking and Mal Pugh and the Ireland defender had space between them. And then the Ireland defender just came over and immediately hit like, and just checked her, which is how she fell into the aunt, like this Courtney Brosnan and the Ireland keeper who was sliding in. Yeah. And it just like, and the fact that that wasn't even called actually for a foul at all. And like, I know maybe you don't want to give a penalty, but like there needs to be, I don't know if it's through like IFAB, but there needs to be some like area where maybe there's a foul in a box that isn't a penalty, but like to tell the players to calm down because when you hit, like when you check a player like that, when they're running at full speed, that is when those freak injuries really happen. You are, these players are so quick and they're literally running so fast. And like, when you just come like, and like literally Mal, there was a lot of daylight between them. Like, and she just came over and checked her, which is how like Mal fell. And it, it just makes me so mad. And this is, and like, I know people are like, oh, we feel this way. Cause you know, you live in the U S and you cover the women's national team. And I'm like, no, I literally feel this way. But if this happens to anyone, because it can be so, so dangerous when you were running at that high velocity, when you're running that quickly, and then just like literally any, like even a light nudge can make you do something kind of crazy, but especially when you are just like getting hip checked like that, it can be so, so dangerous. And it just like makes me so mad. And I mean, there were a few times like Roosevelt got clattered once, I will say. Um, and it was just like, we knew like what, I feel like, I don't know if this is hot take to say that we know that Ireland is like a, like a team that is often quite physical. Like even if you watch Denise O'Sullivan in the NWSL, you know, she's, you know, a physical player. And so it, I was just like so deeply frustrated. And obviously you never want a freak accident to happen where she tears her patella tendon, which sounds absolutely horrendous. I've had patella tendonitis and I just could literally could not imagine. Um, especially when you see a player like Mal who burst onto the scene so early and then, you know, her national team career at first kind of got hampered with some injuries and stuff like that um to have her go out and miss a world cup where you knew she was going to be a starlet is just it's so terrible also the really stupid tweet about mal and trinity rodman's jeans that followed up oh, so the next day was, was terrible 
I'm going to talk about that another time because I'm still mad about that. But yeah, the entire thing was just, I was, I was so frustrated and it's like your heart breaks for a player who, who, you know, was going to come in and like really have a breakout world cup where I don't think I like, it's not a hot take to say in 2019, she didn't have a breakout world cup. Um, but you knew she was, you know, hitting this really high quality form and to have it be marred by something like that is absolutely terrible. Um, and I also think even the one thing I was generally thinking about, and to be fair, this kind of goes for a lot of these players injuries of just the lack of load management across the board, really in women's soccer. I know we saw it a little bit in the second Ireland game with Becky Sauerbrunn coming out, but like thinking about how many minutes Mal plays for the national team and for Chicago, like these rosters need to get bigger. They need to be able to get deeper on the club and international level because this load management, like that is to me also a big reason of why so many of these injuries are happening. Obviously we know there's freak accidents here and there, but like looking at almost every single player on this national team, they're often playing every single minute for club and they come into a national team environment. And for the starting 11, for some of them are often playing almost every single minute. And so it's just, I'm like annoyed and frustrated at, at the entire thing. Yeah. And I, I, the discourse that, that happened after the injury was very frustrating as well, because I think you also had like your, the, after the moment you were talking about when she was shoved and, and went into the goalkeeper, that is such a dangerous moment, but it was not an isolated moment. That's how Ireland had planned to kind of like bother the U S just by being very physical with them and the referee to, to your point, And I completely agree did nothing to note that this was happening and even to like tamp it down just a little bit. Like you have to, that's what your cards are there for. Like you can't just be in here, especially like, first of all, just that's not how a match is supposed to go, you know, but also like we're building up towards a world cup. It can be dangerous if you just let players do these kinds of things to one another on a pitch. And so that was a very, very physical match for a friendly match for a tune-up match. And maybe that's exactly how Ireland's going to play at the world cup. My guess is yes, but I think that is not what you want to see in a in a friendly match, you know, in the last international break before, like major international break before a World Cup. But also, if you notice that and you see a player just very narrowly escaped serious injury, because like you said, getting shoved when you're not expecting it, like Mallet already conceded, like I'm the ball was played just a little bit too far for me. I'm not going to get to it. And you can see in her body language, she holds up. And then she gets shoved. That's very dangerous because you got an unsuspecting player who's not bracing for any sort of impact. So she gets shoved, she flies, she falls into the goal or flies into the goalkeeper's legs and she's down and looks in some serious pain. I thought concussion, maybe like dislocated shoulder or something like I, my brain was going in like, oh, my gosh, like this is bad. She gets up and apparently says, like, I'm good. And they're just like, eh, yeah, that's fine. And I think a lot of us said at the time, like, what are you doing? You see how the match is being played. You see how it's being officiated. Now's not the time to take a risk. And I think when she went down with her knee injury, a lot of people who are like, oh, they're so unrelated, as if people didn't realize that a head injury and a <laughs> neck injury is very different from a knee injury. Like, yeah, we got it. But like people were saying that they were unrelated. And I'm just like, I, that, to me, they were not. It's It was still physical play. It was Aoife Mannion hitting Mallory Pugh after the ball, which ended up jarring her knee. She hit her planted leg and jarred her knee, and that's how she tore her patella tendon. 
I believe they thought it was maybe an ACL, which is like, you know, you can kind of say like those kind of things if they're when they happen, it's always sucks, but it's always, like you said, over wear, overuse, and it's going to happen at some point. This was not one of those injuries. This was an injury that absolutely did not have to happen and happened as a direct result of physical play when she'd already suffered uh, another uh, hit from a physical play and was kind of lucky to escape serious injury then. So I'm like frustrated at the discourse that happened after that, but also extremely frustrated at the way that like the game was officiated and also not protecting a player when you saw that like, okay, it's not just like bad tackles are coming in. Like, no, a player suffered actual like a dangerous hit and you need to make sure that they're okay. And by doing that, you need to protect them. And so for me, there were a number of reasons to make that in-game call. We saw they made it pre-game with, with uh, ahead of the second game to protect Rose Lavelle. But I also think that you can make that in game. So I hope they review the process that led to that because there should be questions asked of that. And I think that's kind of like all people were saying was like, this looks bad. And this was also predictable. This was not something that just wasn't ever going to happen. This was predictable given how Ireland was approaching that match and being allowed to. Yeah, it's just like, it's so frustrating. And I, I literally, my heart just breaks for her. Um, I also want to mention. And I don't think a lot of people knew this, but she also came into camp with a black eye that happened at Chicago's Red Stars training. And so it was just like a, like, maybe let's go light on Mal right now. But that did not happen. Um, so first thing that I want to mention, um, I know I already hit on those crossfield ball, balls. Um, one, I, I do, will say, and I, I'm curious if you feel this way, that both games the U.S. started out kind of slow, but kind of grew into the game. Yes, no, maybe so. I feel like that's yeah. kind of a fair thing to say. In terms of what they want to do, maybe, I guess. Oh, oh I, I don't mean in terms of, like, uh, <laughs> that they necessarily, like, they were trying to do what they wanted to do. I just think, like, they start, they maybe were just starting off slow. I don't know. Um, but s- some good things that I noticed over these games. Sophia Smith, still very good at footballing activities, obviously. Um, the U.S. plays to me at their worst when they and it's so fun sorry i'm taking we're going on a small detour detour join me on this journey the u.s to me has some of the best wingers in the world i don't think that's a hot take to say we really do we have some of the best 1v1 players and best people on the wing and yet for the entire first half honestly i'm gonna say probably first 60 ish minutes of that game versus ireland they were extremely compact like, they were just playing in Ireland's hand of wanting to be compact defensively, which, like, makes Ireland's life easier. And outside of, to me, in that first 60 minutes outside of a Emily Fox kind of worldy, I'd say that's fair to say it's a worldy. Um, the U.S. is up 1-0, but I don't think they were necessarily, like, to me, the U.S. did not really start creating until they started getting those players, wide, like players like Trinity Rodman, out on the wing and super wide. And... Also, to me, that goes back, we're still on this journey, uh, to those crossfield balls where they were still, play, like, they were, it was still very narrow when they were doing them. And outside, you know, also outside of that Alana Cook, worldly goalkeeper mistake, they still were extremely compact when it was like, once a game goes on, I, I don't know if maybe they ignore Vaco's game plans or Vaco changes the game plans or they're like, oh, we're, we want, we want you to get, like, get wider and we saw that at that to me at the end of 
both games, um, where all of a sudden the U.S. is starting to get like more runners in the box, all of a sudden having better shots on net, especially with that, to me, especially with the first, like, sorry, the the second half of that first game, where it was like, oh, yes, the U.S. is playing a little bit more like we were expecting them to play. These players are getting wide. They're getting opportunities to that, like, shoot. I think Roosevelt in that first game forced Brosnahan into, like, a save where she hit it off the post. Or, sorry, Brosnahan, like, saved the ball, and then it bounced off the post. Um, And, yeah, I just think the U.S. keeps starting these games extremely narrow. And then as the course of these games going on, a lot of the players are allowed to get much wider. And that's when we start seeing seams opening and players making runs. And all of a sudden the players have space to get, you know, in the box to shoot. And it's deeply confusing to me because it's also like, why don't you just start that way? Like, why is that not the game plan from the outset? Like, we've seen what a player, for example, like Trinity Rodman can do when she's out wide. Um, And so it's just, that's silly to me. Uh, But... Also with that, I thought Case Gruger was great. She better be on that plane. Yes. She was literally so good. Oh my God. I was, and I mean, I saw this actually in a few clips that Gotham posted after that really weird friendly they had with Chicago that ended 3-1, but it was three 45 minute periods, which was weird. But like they post, like them or Chicago posted a few clips and we saw actually a really good combination play between Casey Kruger and Mal Pugh at the time on that touch line getting wide and then feeding balls into the box. Um, and so, yeah, I thought, yeah, I just thought Casey Kruger was so, so good. I thought Sophia Smith, um, once, especially once the U.S. started getting wide, and to be fair, actually a few moments when they were quite compact, um, was also playing really well. And also my last thing, oh, Naomi Gurma, easy. God bless her. Thank goodness she left college when she did. Still very, very good. Yeah, um, she, I, mean, I, I, I tweeted it, but... Where would we be without Naomi Kerr? Even deeper in the mud than we are. <laughs> Facts. Yeah, Naomi is just incredible. We also saw Tierna Davison back. And I just think like the passing range that she has, which she flashed a little bit uh, in her in her brief time, you know, out there. She, she came on, I guess it wasn't too brief. She had just a little, about, a, about an hour, a little over an hour um, on the pitch after um, Sour, Brecky Sour Brun was taken off, which... We ain't gonna have time to get into all that that U.S. Soccer did to her. <laughs> Bro, I'm so mad. The email was terrible. First of all, how do you do that to my girl? Why are you call Becky a homewrecker? To Becky. Get black what? people what are in you your comms departments. Oh my god. Yeah, I couldn't. I could. People not. were like, people were mad about the cultural reference. It wasn't bad about the cultural reference. You called her a homewrecker. Right. I'm like, do y'all even like? I don't understand how you know that phrase and don't know the context. It's just like, to me, it just like solidifies that sometimes people just be listening to stuff and not even paying attention. Like, oh, that sounds funny. I'm just going to listen to it. It's like, no, actually, listen, the world, like the whole thing is kind of important. Even if you don't listen to the whole song, like the before and after, it's kind of like gives you all the context you need for that. And so I don't understand how it got through all of the layers to where somebody's like, yeah, hit send. This is funny. (laughs) <laughs> so stupid. I was like, you really called Becky a homewrecker on her 200th or celebrating her 200th appearance. She doesn't even play the whole game. Talk about load management. Why don't you take her out the first game, bro? So she could play and right. get her international goal, which almost happened and I almost immediately passed out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then in the copy, Andre, I don't know if you saw this, in the match notes, they yeah. were like, the largest gap has ever existed. Yeah. 
She was like, oh, by the way, she's old as hell. I was like, yo. I was like, bro. Why you doing this to my girl, bro? Doing this to our fave. It was bad. I mean, I can't lie. It was incredible content, but it was bad. It was super bad. Super bad. Um, But yeah, sorry. Little derailment. Uh, But my my main thing was saying, like, seeing Tarana Davis and come back and play was great. But I also think, you know, seeing her passing range and considering, since we don't have a midfield, (laughs) we can't build up through the midfield, considering what a a pairing of her and Naomi Gurma could do as a center back pairing, if we're going to be reliant on some of these long passes and long diagonals that Courtney was talking about, perhaps this is a way to kind of like maybe place those shots better or place those passes better. So yeah, we, we haven't really seen that. And I don't know if we're going to, there's still a lot of decisions to be made, but I don't know if I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of interested in seeing how Gurma and Davidson would do as a pairing. It would have been nice to see it, but we just don't like, we don't like nice things. So we don't get those. So I, I don't know what happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like really not so the, them crossfield diagonal balls. Like when they have, when they work, it works really well. But like, to me, that's awesome. Like to me, you do a crossfield diagonal ball against a, no shade to like England, but like, that's a, you know, a team that you do something like that against where, you know, you know, they're going to also try to, you know, go forward and stuff like that. And you might be able to have a crossfield ball workout hitting it, you know, on the transition for something, not like, Hey, we're about to play five players across the back line and pay play extremely compact. Like it's just easy defense. Um, Oh, set pieces still a weakness for me for the U S Oh, sorry. Wait, before I get into that, um, I did watch that Lindsay ran penalty that you called soft. And at first I also thought it was soft, but then I saw that she tugged the defender tugged on her collar and I was like, mm, that's probably always going to be called as a pen. Um, still soft, but I was like, I see it more now versus the, I'm just falling backwards or like I fell backwards and got rewarded for it. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, I did see like a tug at the collar and I was like, mm, okay. Um, I was like, I see it's better now. But yeah, uh, set pieces, still a huge weakness for the US. I can't lie. It, they're not great. That, like, that's just all I'll say. Like, set, sorry, set piece defense, not great. I know in the, on the broadcast, they were, like, hitting on the how they were trying to do, like, a box. Or no, um, not a box. A uh, zone defense Yeah. for set pieces. Um, to me, that zone is still not working. You might as well go man-to-man at this point or player-to-player. Um, because, like, the U.S. almost very much almost got got, especially in that first game against Ireland, um, from just uh, from a set piece. Um, what else? Andre, are you ready for my maybe spiciest take? Let, give it to me. So this is not about Emily Fox, a player, because I think Emily Fox player is great. However, the U.S. does not have the midfield to suit a player like Emily Fox, because as we know, Emily Fox likes to roam. And it, sometimes it's fun in the middle of the game where she just pops up and you're like, how on earth did you get there? You're currently playing outside back and you are with the forwards right now. And it's fun. And it, for example, really works out when she gets in those spaces and is able to shoot and score. But on the flip side of that, because she likes to roam and like, also I would say like not even just roam, let's say up and down the wing, but sometimes, you know, getting into the midfield, getting into more central areas, unless he's going to play like he is in Blocko, is going to pay Julie Ertz with Andy Sullivan, which is something I think he should do. However, is it going to happen? Who knows? Um, But unless he is planning on playing those two players together as two 
true holding sixes. <laughs> because he tries to make other players sixes and it has not worked. Unless he is planning on playing them as two true holding sixes. Any team that does a little bit of tactical analysis on the U.S. Women's National Team is going to exploit that space left when Emily Fox decides to roam up the field. And they're going to they're going to exploit that. And we saw Ireland do that. They were, especially in that first game, they were, there was a concerted effort. And I want to say, especially like prior for the first 60 minutes, there was a concerted effort to go down the wing that Emily Fox was supposed to be on. If she was like, you know, did not float and was instead holding that space. And so I'm like, some, like something's got to change. Truly put Crystal down in the midfield put Emily Fox on the other side of the field where she likes to be play Casey Cougar. However, do I think this is going to happen? Probably not. And so to me, that's going to be a problem that teams are, or sorry, a weakness that other teams are 100% going to exploit when she likes to go and get up and attack. And the U S does not have the midfield in place to keep it so that teams don't exploit the, that acre of space left in behind, especially also when you don't have a player like Naomi Gurma at the time, like covering yeah, I, so this has kind of been my thing, and I'm really not going to, like, honestly get into the details of it because I'm just kind of, like, I'm frustrated. Like, I, I think that we had, what, yeah, the, the the cycle was shortened because of the, the postponed Olympics because of the, the pandemic, and so it was shortened, but you still had, what, two years um, to recycle the squad, to implement a system. We've talked before about how much this team plays, this is a national team that plays a lot. They play often. They play outside of international uh, FIFA windows as well. So, like, this is a team that has the time to do these things. You have the time to implement structures. You have the time to bring in new players. You have the time to stick with them and give them time to develop within a system, to learn how to play within a system. You have the time to do these things. You chose not to do it. And now you're stuck and you kind of got saved a little bit by Julie Ertz making a surprise reappearance. But I also think you still, even with her, she does not, like personnel does not solve this problem. Like we could have Lena Oberdorf and, you know, some of, think of some of the best midfielders in the world. And we'd still have a cohesion problem in midfield because it's the structure. It's what they're asked to do. It's the way they're asked to play. And it's, and you can see it, especially against a team like Ireland, which is why I thought this is going to be very fascinating because yes, there is, even though Ireland has gotten good, they made the World Cup, they've gotten much better. They have some some really talented players, like Katie McCabe is a superstar. Talked about Sinead Farley, which has been a player that just joined them, but still a very talented player. Um, Bala. So, so like you look at the the opponent and you say, okay, what are we going to be able to do offensively and defensively against this opponent? And the problem is that every single time the U.S. plays a team with a modicum of organization, with a modicum of, modicum of like idea of what they want to do with the ball, they can just do it. So like that space you were talking about Ireland exploiting, yep, they could just do it. <laughs> they just did it because of like, there's the space. This is how we're going we're gonna to move the ball here, and that's going to lead the space here, and we're going to play the ball over here, and it's going to be simple. This It's simple stuff that's happening to the U.S. that they're not able to adjust to. Some of it can get complex, you know, in terms of pressing and how you get out of that kind of thing. But for the most part, it's just not a cohesive unit. And to me, that is 100% on Blackco. And then you mentioned the Emily Fox portion of it, which is like he just recently started moving her to right back for reasons that 
I guess, just to get Crystal Dunn at left back when she could be in midfield, because for similar reasons of why we talked about at the beginning of this pod, why I like Caroline in that like number eight role, you need dynamism in midfield, particularly when you're being pressed. And we don't really have dynamic on the ball midfielders. Like people like to think Haran is one, but she's not. She's more of a passer. She's more of a drifting off the ball. She's more of a, you know, get position to receive the ball, move the ball around. She doesn't really beat players 1v1. She's strong enough to hold players off. But really, when you're talking about midfield, all you're really doing is if you're holding a player off is inviting more pressure, (laughs) another player to come over and try to block a lane or take the ball. So you see that and you're just like, we don't have dynamism from midfield. We can't really get anybody to beat anybody 1v1 and put a defense under pressure. We're not delivering through balls from midfield to our attackers, getting them running and stretching the back line so that we have more room, more space in midfield to drift and play. We don't have any of that stuff. And then Emily Fox drifts all the way over across the pitch from right back to a more familiar position that's central, kind of center left in that like center left pocket where she received the ball. Then she dribbles all the way across the box and takes a right-footed shot, which is her weak foot. And it's a banger. She ends up scoring. But how often, how replicable, how replicable is that? Is my question. Like how often are we going to be able to, to get a goal or an assist from that? And we're doing all of that just so we can play Crystal Dunn not in her best position as well. Play her in left back instead of in midfield when we actually need the help. Like this is stuff that we've been talking about for a long time and it is still happening. And to me, I'm just, I'm frustrated and I'm sad and I feel bad for the players because individually they're all much too good for this, but they are really being let down by the system and what they're asked to do and how they're asked to play together. And it just did not have to be this way. But it is. And here we go, I guess. And to me, it's very much it doesn't need to be this way for this entire team. Like, the, like even when it comes down to squad selection, you know, it's like you need, obviously we know that the midfield is not working. We need a dynamic midfielder. Call up Brianna Pinto. Like, to me, like, it just doesn't, it, sometimes it does not, um, like, it to me, it just does not make any sense. Or, like, you know, we need a, like, we want to, I mean, we've talked about several players who we think should be like back on the national team. And, we you know, for example, some of them, um, you know, some of them are out with injuries, some are out with uh, like out with pregnancy. But it's also to me like to me, for example, there's still not 100 percent. We don't know if they want Emily Sonnet to be a midfielder or if they want her to be an outside back. And it's like have her choose or choose one for her and then have her like compete with those positions because to me it's like okay she's not your number one outside back on either side and she's also not your number one midfielder I don't know it's just it's very confusing to me and it's like it does not need to be like this you apparently care about league play but we have players who have been right dominating in the league who are not being called up to the national team and some players who don't even have a team yet (laughs) right which no like Julie hurts like glad you're back but also this flies in the face of everything he's been saying and then what he said about cat like oh she needs to be out there and playing but if we think she can help us then like bro what are you saying does club four matter or not <laughs> like, that's just so, it's so weird he just goes back and forth all the time and i just think like honestly what i actually thought might happen this would have been like the most like the the luckiest thing ever after all of the struggles that we talked about to stumble upon 
a especially with Roosevelt out of this game, them them withholding her from for from for precaution. I really thought there was a good chance that we were going to end up seeing Julie Ertz, Andy Sullivan, and Lindsey Horan in midfield, and I think that actually would have been like, okay, now we're cooking. Like now we're cooking. Like Andy can do the eight thing where she kind of roams around. She picks passes. She finds pockets. She finds space. Haran kind of stays a little higher because that's what she wants to do anyway. And then Julie Ertz behind takes care of some of the defensive work, but so does Andy because she has coverage as well. So like I thought, okay, we actually might stumble into something good. And then, nope, decided not to do that at all. So who knows if we'll ever see that midfield at all uh, or with or even with, you know, Ertz, Sullivan and, and Lavelle. Like we could also see that. But uh, no, no, we never we never saw them on the pitch together. Uh, apparently, he sees them as strictly a six, uh, sixes, and they can't play together, and that's that. I mean, obviously, I don't know if that's actually the case, but I mean, we'll we'll see. So, like, even even like the happy accident that sometimes you run into, even given the gift of like Julie Ertz has returned, I we we still do not appear to be in position to take advantage. And okay, cool, neat. Who's the next coach? That's basically where I'm at right now. Just like who's next. This World Cup's going to be weird. I'm going to be frustrated at many points. So look forward to the next cycle. Who's coming in after this? Yeah, I just, I don't have, it was, it was funny, uh, Sylv's best friend of Ada Hegerberg um, brought it up in a group chat that we're in of like, what are the U.S. Women's National Team performances we can really hang our hats on of like, they played really well here. And for me, the only performance that I can really think of that well, I can think of two of them. I will say I thought they played fantastically against Jamaica in the W Championship. I just thought they played really, really well. And the only other one also is versus Canada in the W Championship. Like, I just thought them in that final performance, they actually played very well. They were, like, came out on the front foot, were really giving Canada some work. And, I mean, Canada, to be fair, like, did give it a little bit back. But I thought of, like, the most complete performance I can think of the U.S. Women's National Team in the last two years, let's say. I can like really think of two, which really is not ideal when you're heading into, I'm going to say the most competitive World Cup to date and in a tough group too. Because with Portugal, I don't know if we ever talked about that, with Portugal coming in and rounding out that group of the US, Netherlands, of course, which is hilarious, uh, Vietnam and Portugal, that those games are going to be tough across the board. Yeah, they are. I'm not a, I don't know. I mean, Part of me is just like, okay, well, this is going to be dope. Like, nobody's really entering the World Cup, especially with England. Like, England looked like the best team in the world. And, and I would still say are the best team in the world for now. Um, I think they really need Millie Bright back, and so does Chelsea. So just saying. <laughs> uh, but, like, I still think that I would say that, like, they're the major favorites. But we also saw that they're not infallible. They can be beaten, um, particularly when you have Sam Kerr able to get into the head of Leah Williamson. But I also think sometimes um, – there are some cracks there. There are some players you can go after. Um, so I think it's going to make it an overall, like, really interesting and exciting World Cup. I've got no idea, like, who's actually going to go. Like, France is a major wild card. Brazil's ascendancy makes me extremely excited for them. You know, we've talked about a lot of teams this episode as well. So, like, there's going to be an opportunity for, you know, a, a couple teams to do some awesome runs. And to be honest, like, early, especially early in the knockout stages – you could lose some very big teams. Like, I don't know if the U.S., depending on, like, what happens, who they end up facing, I don't know if the U.S. is going to make it out of the knockout rounds and enough, like, 
the early stages of the knockout round. So then it opens up even more. And there's depending on how games go, things could get very interesting. So like, it makes me more excited in a way for this, but I'm also frustrated for the players in the U S players, because I think they had a chance to do something completely historical. Three world cups in a row would be incredible, especially like given the advancement and improvement of it globally that we've seen in women's soccer. I think that players like, you know, Sophia Smith, Naomi Gurma, um, I think even Alyssa Thompson, Lynn Williams, like these players really deserve the the stage to shine, a good system that allows them to shine. And I want to see people be introduced to them on a global stage. So like I'm sad in that way. But overall for the tournament, like psh, roll the ball out there and kick it off tomorrow. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm super ready. Extremely excited. Coming out of this international break for everyone except for the U.S. really, like it's the best international break I think they could have in terms of really just like getting up the hype for World Cup 2023. And I'm so excited for it and hopefully to be going. We're still manifesting. If anyone would like to sponsor this podcast to go, um, but really excited about it. <laughs> Please. Time is running out. Time is running the out. Ticket people. prices are going up. <laughs> right. Like, hey, listen. Listen, I would love to be there. I'm sad because it doesn't look like it's. I'm going to make it. So this means my sleep schedule is going to be absolutely wrecked in pieces, tattered, shambles. But, you know, it's going to be a fun tournament. So I'm, I'm also ready. All right. Uh, with that, I think I think we're done. You got anything else that you want to say before we get out of here? No. <laughs> okay. Bye. There we go. That's my way to make Andre lose it each episode. thanks for listening to diaspora united podcast please subscribe and rate and review us anywhere you get your podcasts follow us on twitter at diaspora united pod that's diaspora utd pod and message us if there's anything you want us to talk about in our next podcast see you next time